Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hi, this is Kurt Sumner, host today for the NSPS podcast series. And as listeners know, we've started a series within a series called Get to Know Your Directors uh, as a means of helping our membership and anybody else who wants to listen know who our, our directors are. And of course, they come from all over the country and have different backgrounds to some degree and maybe have different business structures, for obviously. But in terms of the people, being people, uh, we're all just hardworking folks that are interested in our profession and want to do something to make it better and stronger and whatever we can do to help our organization, state and national, do that. And even regional, where you are, Doug, you have WestFed out there. So today I've got Doug Schneider with me from Arizona. He sits on our board of directors representing the, the society in Arizona. And uh, how long have you been a director, Doug? Kurt, uh, I've been a director about four or five years now. Four or five years, yeah. Yeah, and I can't give you a number, Doug, uh, in terms of what an average is for directors. Um, some people come and stay forever, it seems, and some people come and go. And I don't, does, does the society there have any kind of criteria about that in terms of this is something we'll have you do for a certain amount of time, or is it sort of left up to, to you? No, the, the Arizona Professional Land Surveyors uh, has a policy where the, the chairman uh, appoints uh, the director, and, uh, and our chairman serves uh, a two-year uh, on the board, and and then can his term can be extended for an additional two years. So in the in the uh, so it's possible then you know if and normally have chairman that that run the full four year, and it's so, so it's possible every four years there could be a, a different director appointed. However, it, it's it's not like there's a whole slug of people uh, raising their hands. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Um, that may be particularly true in today's world where everybody seems to be so busy all the time. Uh, um, not that people would necessarily volunteer if they weren't busy, but as you and I were talking about before we started recording, it's a really busy time right now. So it it's an extra... Uh, I won't call it a burden, but an extra thing to do in, in conjunction with it, everything that's going on in your business. And as you know, you're gone for several days at a time when you go to our meetings, and that can be difficult keeping up with what's going on back in the office. Uh, hopefully, you, you've got a good crew and good leadership, so you're, you're able to do that. Yeah, we, yeah, you know, I really do. It's, um, you know, a lot of times I... Uh, I probably don't take as much opportunity as I should to to reach out to to, to my folks and, and tell them what a darn good job they're doing. 
Um, and quite frankly, it's, it's been really impressive to me when I had to go, go away for some of these meetings for an extended period of time or, or on a, a vacation that uh, they really uh, step up to the plate and uh, hit the home runs for me uh, when I'm not there. And I understand in talking to you, you guys are, are pretty busy. Are you primarily a company that does uh, development? Do you do um, like pub, uh, what do I want to call it? Not public service, but working for governmental entities like a county or state departments or state, like highway departments, people like that. Or are you tied more to the, the development side? Well, the, 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 Corporation I work for Rick Engineering has, you know, various offices, uh, you know, uh, five or so offices in California, a, a couple in Arizona, a couple in the Denver area, and then uh, one uh, new startup office in the Las Vegas area. I, you know, manage the survey department in the Tucson office, and the Tucson office uh, primarily uh, does uh, land development. We do have some public works projects that we do, but we have a lot of uh, a master um, plan uh, communities that we work in doing residential work we do work with apartments um, commercial work school work um, but but primarily it it is land development and you're absolutely correct uh, things are are pretty busy the there seems to be a a lot of developers that that want to develop properties uh, sooner than later yeah, I'm, I'm always curious when I talk to people, because my background, my early, well, I won't say my early background, my early background as a, as being a professional and being a partner in a company uh, was in a, not a particularly highly uh, populated area, but big enough. And we found ourselves looking pretty much at everything. You know, we did public works, we did subdivisions, we did other land development, we highways, you know, whatever was out there. Um, and, and I've worked in a few firms like that. And carried that on a little bit in my own business, although I was a lot smaller. Um, so it, it seems to me that, or, or what you're telling me about Rick Engineering, that perhaps they're pretty broad brush as well. Do they, are there elements of architecture or anything like that in the company, or is it all engineering and surveying? There, there, there's not really. I think there's an architect that, that works in our Arvada office uh, in the Denver area. Uh, but generally, it's uh, uh, civil engineering and surveying. So, so I get the pleasure to work with uh, civil engineers, you know, quite a bit. So we're, we're supporting those civil engineering projects. Plus, we also reach out. We do a lot of uh, boundary surveys and title surveys that are at work that, that our survey department brings into the firm that are not associated with the civil engineering aspect of the work. So is there... Uh... I don't know much about the property structure where you are. Um, like here, there's a lot of privately owned big farms and that kind of thing that, that end up getting surveyed from time to time. But there are a lot of them that really never do. You know, they get handed down from family to family. And uh, when you run into one of those, they're, they can be pretty challenging sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if you ever encounter that kind of thing where you are, but but that's been the case with me throughout my career. I've had a number of those kind of things where it's not development it's you know it's really just somebody's piece of land yeah well the, the, we get surveys that, that are like that they're generally you know pretty rural and um 
you know, one of the, one of the last uh, surveys that was, uh, it's pretty challenging because of the combination of some mining claims and some GLO stuff and GLO surveys were done hundred some years ago and the mining claims prior to, to that. So, so it was really interesting to get out there, it's a thousand plus acres and, you know, um, you know, out in, uh, you know, the southeastern uh, part of Arizona, but we're, we're fortunate somewhat in the West that, the, you know, the GLO is coming in done, done a lot of survey work and now be the BLM. And, and so with the, the land, uh, you know, being sectionalized, you know, even some of these, these large farms are still part of this, that public land survey system. And, and so that, although they, they can be challenging, um, they may be less challenging than, than in the context of some, some really old meets and bounds stuff that, that has just been handed down generation after generation. Yeah, one of the things, I've, I've been to Arizona a few times, and I don't real, think I realized how diverse it was in terms of, of land and uh, temperature and heights and all that kind of stuff. And I got to go up to the Grand Canyon once, but uh, I, I'm, I had the opportunity to go to Snowflake. And I think, is it called Sholo that's near Snowflake? I think it is in the mountains, kind yeah. of in the southeastern part. Uh, and that was pretty interesting. I uh, almost alpine, it seemed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, Tucson, we're, you know, a couple thousand feet elevation. Um, but, uh, you know, my wife and I own property up in the Flagstaff area. And, you know, that's over 7,000 feet. And, and we're kind of trolling around looking for, you know, if we could find a piece of property, you know, up in the northeastern part of Arizona. And, you know, that's somewhere around 8,000 feet. And quite frankly, yeah, there's, you know, it's all the way from the, you know, the desert to the pine forest and everything in between. Yeah, that's a, a, kind of a nice diversity to have, but it's a big state too. It takes a little while to drive around, doesn't it? Well, you know, we can get from our home in, in you know, four hours, you know, and be up to, to the Flagstaff area, depending on how quickly we can get, you know, through the Phoenix metro area. So, I mean, ideally in Arizona, because of the heat in the summer, you know, and as I'm looking more towards the possibility of retirement or semi-retirement is to have a place, you know, in the desert for, for winter and have a place in the mountains uh, for summer, because then you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I remember that picture you sent me the other day of your welcoming committee when you arrived. <laughs> Yeah, the, the diamond uh, back rattlesnake in the yeah. backyard. Yeah, the dog uh, just started barking like crazy. Um, it was one of those uh, uh, types of barks that is it really alerts you something is going on. And so I got up from my home office and walked out in, in the backyard. And there was it, this this diamondback was you know four four and a half foot long. It was it was a it was a healthy snake. It didn't care about us one iota. It just looked at us and just, you know, like, eh, whatever. You know, I put the dog in the garage, snapped some pictures of the snake, and then just let it, you know, go about its business. And, you know, it's probably looking to see if it could, you know, eat some, uh, you know, baby rabbits or some lizards or, or find something to eat in our, in our backyard because we, we have a bunch of drip irrigation back there. So we, it tends to bring in, you know, a little bit of the, the wildlife that lives around. Right. 
I'm curious about in your time since you've come on to to the NSPS board, um, kind of what your perspective is. You know, we, we really try to have a good solid group of people that that come and work hard and and um, really trying to do the right thing for the, for the profession. That's what all societies are about, just like NSPS being one of them. And uh, I've been around so long now that. It's almost like second nature, but I'm interested in in uh, the per perspective sort of coming into it at this point in time. You know, when I came in, it was still Board of Governors and all that kind of stuff. And now it's the direct board that made up of members from every state. And uh, I was just curious about coming in, what your what your first reaction was when you saw how it operates. Well, I, I was really impressed with the, the you know, the way you know everyone sort of synergizes, you know, comes together to, um, you know, find solutions through the various committees, um, and and the, the the structure, you know, and the meeting structures, you know, is, is fairly well organized. Um, what I what what I found a, a little bit lacking is some of the uh, communication on the uh, committee levels. That, that communication uh, uh, wasn't always uh, uh, forthcoming, and it seemed that a lot of the the directors were almost relying on waiting to meet at the fall and spring meetings to conduct their business. And it just doesn't seem to me that that's the most appropriate way to do it. And I I would be hopeful that. Um, one of the lessons maybe that we've learned through the, our, our need to communicate uh, virtually or more remotely through their GoToMeeting or Zoom or whatever, you know, that maybe the organization can, can help, you know, push that meeting format down so that committees can, 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 can meet on a more on a regular basis throughout the year to, to you know, accomplish the tasks that they have to accomplish you know, versus, you know, trying to get together and get those accomplished in, in the course of, of a couple of meetings. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you're right about the sort of learning about the the uh, communication process um, and how well it can work. You know, that's one of the things that sort of surprised me, I think, when we first started doing any kind of meeting, whether it was committee meetings or the, the board meetings or even the the, the meetings with the officers and, and uh, executive committee, being able to have a meeting sort of like you and I are doing right now, where we're, we're talking to each other, we're looking at each other, and uh, it, it really does help. I, I know I was just recently on the, uh, what was supposed to be the last meeting of the ALTA NSPS joint committee leading up to rolling out the, the, the new version of the standards. And of course, that had to be held this way too. And I think, from my perspective, and and I think Trish in the office probably shares it to some degree too, is is exactly what you just said. How effective this can be, and in getting things done, and not having to worry about do everything at the meeting. There's a lot of things you can do ahead of time and be prepared, committee level, board level, all along, and and. Uh, I, I think it's going to have a big impact, not only on us, but pretty much everybody who does meetings with boards that are from all over the place. And uh, 
So I, I agree with you. It, it's something we need to work on to make sure that we orchestrate those meetings. And, and perhaps maybe it needs a little more um, nudging, if you will, from us at headquarters to, to help people get things done. Because even though a chairman might know that's available, he or she's also got a schedule to take care of and clients to take care of. So perhaps a good way to do that would be and hopefully not an intrusive way, but in a hopeful, helpful way, we at staff could, could help orchestrate that to, to be more commonplace so it doesn't have to occur the way you're talking about. Because you're absolutely right about how hard it is to actually get things done all in such a short period of time at the meetings because what committees only meet maybe two or three hours. So I hope, yeah. hopefully we can learn from that. Yeah, and I think this lesson, you know, I've been to some really um, wonderful uh, virtual conferences, the the, the joint uh, conference that APLS had with with uh, the Nevada and the California Association, um, it, you know, came off really well. And there was a lot of educational opportunities. There was, um, you know, the ability for uh, also social interaction amongst the participants through through like uh, virtual uh, cocktail hours, there was uh, ability for for the participants to to meet with vendors and for vendors to to present at, at some of these um, half hour uh, open sessions. Um, and and it, it you know you, you really have to start thinking that you know maybe there's a better format for some of the things that that we've been doing. Um, we've we, it's easy to to do it the traditional way um, and and to just keep going but but maybe we can find a new model for some of these things and maybe it can be a uh, a combination model um, you know what I miss most about not getting together with people is 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 the you know the the social things that happen you know, around the meetings that you don't get when you meet virtually, um, you know, the, the, the dinners you go with people, the acquaintances you make and the friendships that you make, it's a little tougher. Uh, but I still think that there could be s some uh, modification or blending to, you know, in-person and, and virtual um, interactions and meetings, uh, you know, going on into the future. Yeah, I think so too. And, and one of the other things that I look at, um, trying to think about how we could perhaps make it more effective or more enjoyable in the spring, and we do the, the spring meeting typically, we've been doing them here in the DC area and then doing what we call our day on the hill as well. And sometimes that seems a little uh, pressed, if that's the right word, you know, to, to make sure that we get that part of it in but then at the same time, like you said, we still got to do committee meetings. We still have to do all the other things that, that are needed. So perhaps this idea of taking care of a lot of committee stuff ahead of time in these other settings, maybe that enhances our ability to get more people to be able to participate in the, the Capitol Hill visits as well. Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, I really in, in, enjoyed, actually found uh, my first time going up on the hill to, to be a little um, a little challenging, almost almost intimidating. But 
once it was done, it, it was really rewarding. And, um, and, you know, you meet a lot of really interesting people, you know, in doing that, that care, care a lot about the profession. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a bit of a crapshoot who you get to meet with. When, when you go up on the hill, you, you get to meet with a staff or you really get to meet with a, you know, a congressman, a congresswoman or, or a senator. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting. And, and for me, you know, traveling out of the West, you know, and coming to uh, DC, it, it is kind of, kind of exciting. Uh, you know, I was in the, the, the DC area um, at uh, Fort Belvoir when I was uh, you know, a young and actually get, got training there, uh, you know, in the construction surveyor in the little stint I spent uh, with the military. Um, and so it's kind of nice to, for me to, to kind of go back and sort of look at uh, some things there. And, and I find the DC area pretty, pretty, pretty fascinating. Um, you know, there's a lot to do. Um, and, and, and it would be nice if some of that committee stuff was done because you get more time to go out and do some of those things. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Versus being, being, you know, stuffed in meetings all day. Now, well, one thing that happens here is the landscape changes really quickly <laughs> because so much development going on. And you know, I've lived here 30 years. Um, the highway that comes past my house going north and north and south right by Dallas Airport was a two-lane road when I moved here. And when I mean two-lane, I mean two one way, one, one way and one the other, two lanes. And now that road is <laughs> six or eight, and they're building two more on each side. <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty wild place. It's, I don't know if it's really that much different than other big metropolitan areas, though. I mean, in Phoenix, is the same way, right? Yeah, yeah. Phoenix is a monster, and the, the, the highway system just keeps growing. And and uh, with the traffic, of course, you know, maybe, maybe uh, another bright spot of, uh, you know, remote work that might continue after the pandemic subsides is maybe people will commute less, um, which have some really beneficial impacts uh, to the planet, you know, and to our society. Um, we, we, if we can use less of those kind of resources and use that time for something that's that's more valuable. I mean, because I certainly can see, you know, myself I am not going back full time to the office ever. You know, it just doesn't seem like it. There's a, a valuable point to it. Of course, I'll lose my nice big opulent office probably to one of the principals if I do that. But <laughs> oh well. Yeah, but it, it has its other advantages too. You know, another thing that, and you mentioned this a, a bit earlier, we're seeing a lot of the state societies use the same platform to do meetings. And, and I can see where that whole committee structure thing could work at the state level, too, using this, because those are kind of hard to pull off sometimes as well. Yeah, I think that the um, later this month, APLS will have a, a, a board meeting and, and it'll be a virtual board meeting. You know, we had, had met in person um, and they had a, you know, like a telephone puck where people could call in if they, could, they couldn't make it. Because um, the board members come from, you know, from all over the state. It's really hard sometimes to, to coordinate that timing. We try to coordinate our board meetings with 
some type of a seminar offering that we might be able to do an educational seminar have the board meeting one day and and the uh, uh, the seminar another day where members could come um, but um, we're probably going to be doing seminars virtually here uh, you know in, in at least in the short term and um, and so we're so we're going to a virtual virtual board meeting and um, I think it'll uh, I think it'll work way better than than you know the few traveling and then having the puck for those who want to phone in right at least we'll be able to see each other's faces absolutely yeah what do you perceive profession wise in in your part of the country in terms of what I always call the next generation uh, coming through uh, with you know we have different educational requirements now and some states are more stringent than our others. Um, but in your part of the world, what's your vision of how that's going to turn out? Are we going to be having fewer people coming in at those uh, upper level, you know, becoming licensed people? Uh, or, or, is it, or do you think there's enough interest and uh, availability of people to fill the spots that that will still be able to stay pretty strong? Well, Arizona does not have a uh, educational requirement to licensure. So, so the path is more of an alternative path um, than it is in, in some of the other states that do. And, and Arizona really doesn't have a, a college or, or an institution that's providing any degree programs for surveyors. So surveyors moving up in the system, um, you know, are still going with the mentorship and the, the trying to get the experience level. And it, it really takes individuals that uh, can be very proactive in sort of self teaching themselves, you know, you know, have, they, they've got to really want to do it. They've, they've got to want to, to go out and, and, and get books, you know, read books, you know, ask the right questions of other people, be engaged in, in professional societies that, that provide the educational opportunities for them, you know, and then work for an employer that will help, help mentor and, and guide them forward. Um, I mean, I'm encouraged at the, the, um, colleges and, and universities and some of the online platforms that do give uh, survey educational training opportunities. And, and I think that, you know, there will be a bit of a, of kind of a, a vacuum of, of, of people in the, in the profession, but, but hopefully that vacuum is quickly filled when, when wages, and salaries are increased to encourage people to, to, to come into that position. I mean, if survey wages were on par with civil engineering, wage starting wages for graduates, et cetera, I think more people would be encouraged to take that path. And, you know, societies need to, of course, reach out to, to you know, give people who may be interested some sort of a taste of what it might be like to be a surveyor because a lot of uh, 
college students, you know, unless they brush up against it in their, let's say if they're in a civil engineering curriculum, they brush up against surveying, they, they may find it, it, it fascinating um, and, and may want to stick with it. If they can be compensated, you know, after going to all the trouble of, of the work that it takes to, to end up getting that degree. Yeah, your your situation is similar to ours in Virginia. We we don't have a degree requirement in Virginia either. Um, it's always been experience, and um, I I don't see that there's any lack of competence among our surveyors, right? Quite honestly, uh, because they go through the mentorship, and and uh, you know the the difficult part is you don't get experience or education in and technologies and all the, the new things that are coming along. But, you know, the underlying principles are still the same. Um, I know in the Northern Virginia area where I live now, probably 50 years ago, they started what they called an apprenticeship program. Nobody likes that word. But a, a group of business owners, uh, surveyors, worked with the, uh, the State Department of Education to create this program. And it's about a four-year program, actually, may, maybe even five, where people who get to a certain point in their career go to that, they go to a class like, you know, one night a week or two nights a week or something like that and get instruction from actual licensed surveyors. Um, and it's worked out pretty well for here. There's, there's a, there's a good group. Um, and so I, I don't know, I, I keep hearing that we're going to run short, but I still think that, that we have the opportunity to attract a lot of young people if, if we just go about it the right way. Well, sure. Well, you know, if we run short, someone's going to figure out how to do the work. You know, it's, you know, it's the expertise and boundaries that we, we'd certainly hate to see um, diminished because property rights are, are so important to people and actually understanding how to apply the legal principles to resolve the boundaries is such a big deal. Um, but, you know, the construction industry will figure out how to get oh, stuff yeah. surveyed so they can build stuff. They don't, they, they're going to, they're, they're not going to need surveyors, you know, to do that. You know, they may need them to set the boundary and the control and they'll just take it over and do it. You know, we're doing a significant amount of, of that surveying for construction work and it's really good kind of bread and, and butter work. But if we weren't here to do it, they'd figure out how to get it done. So, you know, we need to keep, you know, providing that and we need to provide the, the you know, the education and the educational opportunities that so that, that people can understand and use a lot of these advanced technologies that you have in, in, in surveying today. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive what, you know, the movement in the industry has been over the last several decades, you know, measurement now is the, the you know, almost the easiest part right. of anything. It used to be a challenge. Now it's, you know, it's now it's pretty simple. I'm just waiting to get, you know, the, you know, centimeter level measurements on my watch. <laughs> yeah, that may be true. I don't know. It's it's interesting to me to go to a construction site and see every piece of equipment with GPS units on it. And, uh, you know, like you said, you provide them the data and then it's a matter of the machinery deciding figuring out where it needs to go. It's, it's pretty amazing. 
That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 definitely going to do it. There's no doubt about it. You know, and but in Arizona, we have been challenged with getting setting up a similar programs like you had had set up in Maryland. This sort of apprenticeship ed- educational kind of program. Um, it just doesn't hasn't seemed to really taken off, you know, that well. Um, and and there there's been some. Uh, you know, educational institutions that have tried it and they just have not gotten enough people to attend to make those programs viable enough to to continue. Um, and in Arizona also that, you know, there is no requirement for any continuing education uh, for license renewal, um, which which I'm really uh, a proponent that, that there should be a continuing education requirement to, to get your survey license renewed, um, you know, I think that, you know, there's a lot of uh, people, there's a lot of surveyors, or not a lot, but there there are surveyors that are minimally competent and they they obtain their, their survey license and they stay minimally competent throughout a lot of their career because there's just not, you know, the the, the will for them to, to always better themselves and there's not a requirement for them to, to do continuing education. And, and, and I think that's, that's something I think is a little sad in Arizona, but there's also no will, um, political will to have continuing education either, so. Yeah, that's, um, it's been an interesting path that we've taken toward continuing education and how the various states have looked at it. And, you know, some are pretty lax, some are very, very stringent. Um, but I agree with you that it doesn't really matter. I don't think if, if we're a surveyor or whatever we do for a living, but in particularly the professions like we're in, you almost have to do something just to keep up with all the changes. I mean, there's just so many things that, like you and I were just talking about, all these changes come along, and none of that was on the on the score sheet when, when I was learning 40, 50 years ago. So. You need to figure out how to how to how to do things, and continuing education is really the only way to do it. I think. Yeah, you, you may not need to be the one who's who's the, the super technical that can push all the buttons, but you, you need to make sure you understand uh, what you're getting. Yeah, well, yeah. What what results coming out of that machine, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I've taken up, uh, I don't know, close to 40 minutes of your time, maybe not quite that much, 30 minutes or something like that. And don't like to keep people too long. And you may have uh, a snake to go watch, or maybe you're going to cook out this (laughs) afternoon or something. I don't know. Uh, But I really appreciate you being with me. I I love these conversations that I'm able to have with the people who are on our board. And um, I, I always say this, but it's absolutely true. The blessing Big, one big blessing in my life has been able to do this as long as I have and get to meet so many wonderful people who are dedicated and and um, just really solid individuals. And that's not just people on our board. That's surveyors pretty much in general, <laughs> I think. Uh, so this it's a great joy for me to be able to have conversation with anyone, but particularly the people who sit on our board of directors, because um, like we said in the beginning, we're surveyors too, and and we're not really any different than anybody else. We just happen to have an interest in doing this part of it. Yeah, and you know, I, when I if I reflect on you know you know my career, 
you know, I'm really happy I took the the path, you know, that I that I took. I think I think surveyors are fantastic people. Um, they're they're not always the most extroverted uh, people in the world all the time, but but they're 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 wonderful, honest. They they have a lot of integrity, and it, it's a really uh, a really good group to to be a part of. Yeah, I, and I think I think pretty much everybody I've ever known really understands how important they we as a serving profession are to our fellow citizens because of what we do. Uh, they depend on us a, a lot. And so uh, it's always refreshing and rewarding to to talk to people and know that they are up for the challenge and, and dedicated to it. So that, that's what I see in our board members. I, I don't I can't recall ever having anybody on our board that I didn't think really had the profession's best interests at heart and uh, and just that dedication to the public too. And you're certainly among that group for sure. So I guess we're gonna be doing our fall meeting here in a few weeks. Uh, we'll all get to be on the big board again and uh, see how this one turns out. I think we learned a few things the last time, so hopefully we'll, we'll run smoothly. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Well, thanks for being with me. I hope you have a great weekend. You're welcome. Thank you. You have a wonderful weekend too. I, I certainly will. It'll probably be yard work, but I'll still have fun doing it. So. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. You've been listening to the Surveyor Says podcast brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com, and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor.